We turn tonight in God's Word to the book of Acts, the 17th chapter, Acts chapter 17. Paul is in the midst of his second missionary journey. He has received a vision uh, when he was at Troas to come over into Macedonia to bring the message of the gospel to Europe. Major step in the advancement of the gospel is being accomplished by the Lord on this second missionary journey. From Macedonia, he has made his way down into Athens, down to Greece. Here, amongst the scholars, he is appalled at a city of such pagan origins. So many gods, so many statues. He is given the opportunity to speak. Amongst these learned men, and we find Paul making that address beginning in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, and that's where we begin. Let us hear the very breathed out word of God to us. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, The God who made the world and everything in it, Being Lord of heaven and earth, Does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have this evening to come and worship you. And we just thank you for the blessing and the privilege that we were able to witness Ginny and Madeline's profession of faith. And we just thank you for all the friends and family that were able to join us. And now as we open your word, we ask that you guide Pastor Bob and open our hearts and our minds to this word so that we can apply it to our lives. 
This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. So why are you here tonight? A variety of answers could be given to that question. Some of you could answer, well, I had assigned duties this evening. I had to be in the sound booth or I had to accompany on the piano. Other people may say I had to be in nursery. Others of you may say, well, I'm here because Madeline and Ginny made profession of faith. I know them. I'm part of their family or I'm part of their friends and so I'm here. If I asked the question two months ago, did you plan to be here, you would have said no. I had no plans whatsoever to be at Little Farms Chapel, 2518 Arthur Street at 6.20 p.m. on June 10, 2018. Others of you had, would have answered the question, why are you here tonight? You would say, well, we regularly meet for evening worship at 5.30. And so because it is a regular pattern of my life on the Lord's Day, I come Sunday evening as well. And so you are here because this is part of your regular pattern. Others of you might answer, I, I come here to worship the Lord. I come here to glorify the Lord. All of which are true answers. And we might debate if some are more valuable than others. That perhaps would be worthy of discussion. But in essence, none of those answers is correct. The reason you are here tonight is because God determined that you would be here tonight. That's why you're here. God determined it. God, before the foundations of the world were laid, had already determined that you would be here this evening. It must be, then, that God has something important to say to you. In that he has taken all of human history bring you to this place at this time on this evening. It's a remarkable way to think about life, isn't it? But I'll tell you, it's not only a remarkable way to think about it, it's the only way to truly think about life. See, this evening we go back to the statement of faith that we made earlier out of the Belgic Confession about the providence of God. That's what we mean when we say that God determined it, that it is the providence of God. So first of all, let me offer, firstly, if you're following the sermon outline, a definition, the definition that providence has. We would define it as the following five statements, that the God who created out of nothing, that's where we were last Lord's Day evening, looking at the great power, the almighty power of God, who can out of nothing absolutely nothing create, make, form all that we see, all that is. That God, the eternal being, the only one who can truly say, I am created out of nothing. Now the question is, can one who create out of nothing do anything else with that creation? Or is now he limited? 
Is he now sort of impotent? Well, he can create, but he can't do anything else with the creation he made. Now, providence picks up on this point. Providence starts here with the idea of God as the creator out of nothing, and then says that the God who created out of nothing also continues to rule his creation. He is in charge of it. He is sovereign over it. And that he sustains his creation. In other words, he continues to give it life. He continues to give that which is needed for life to exist. He continues to hold the sun in its place. He continues to spin the earth upon its axis. He continues the forces of gravity that are so crucial for life. He continues to allow the breath of life to come in and to come out of our being. He continues to sustain. He gives life. God didn't just create one step away, but God continues to act. God continues to sustain, not just to rule, not just to govern, but to continue the forces, the power, the creation that is necessary for life to continue. He also continues to rule his creation, sustain his creation, even determining his creation. That's what we mean by the providence of God. That God determines his creation. God determines when a star is going to burn out. God determines whether we're going to have rain for our campfire later on or not. God determines the movement of the clouds. God determines the exact temperature with which we are dealing with. God determines all that is. It is by his determination. So I come back to the point that I made earlier. Why are you here? Ultimately, it comes back to that God determined this and is always engaged with his creation. See, we reject that, that deistic view of creation that says that God is sort of like some great watchmaker who creates and makes a watch, he puts it in motion, and then it, it goes and it simply exists on its own and God no longer pays any attention to that which happens. Nor do we go the route of many of the Eastern religions, many of those involved in the New Age, the idea of a, a pantheistic view in which God is the creation. Now, God is not the creation. God is not a tree. God is not a river. God is not the grass. God is not the flower. God determines the flower. God is involved with that flower. God rules that flower. God gives life to that flower. But God is not the flower. Nor do we believe that God has no care about the earthly physical world. That God's only interested in the spiritual realm of life. 
Some of you perhaps have read the Frank Peretti series of books, and uh, although it, perhaps it's not clearly distinguished there, there, there is, simple, there is a, a notion as you go through that that God seems to be only interested in the spiritual warfare of life, and he could care less whether or not corn comes up in Tim Stroven's field. Or whether the pumpkins that the whirlings planted yesterday are, are actually going to produce any fruit. Okay? God's not interested in that. He's just interested in the spiritual dynamics that are taking place. No, we believe in the providence of God. That God is engaged with his creation. He is involved in all that is happening, all that is taking place. You see, and it's when we have this view of what who God is and what God does, that we will find such tremendous comfort and peace and assurance in life. But before I can get to that, we have to prove this, right? These were great statements. Pastor just said these things. Is it provable? Is it provable by the word of God? Does God's word teach us that which we have just said. Well, let's go back to the Acts passage that I read earlier. Does Paul, in this passage, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tell us that God is determining, sustaining, upholding, engaged in his creation? We'll pick it up at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, there's the rule, there's the sovereignty, there's the control, okay? exists beyond this world so that he is not part of this world in the sense of he's in the flower, he doesn't live in temples and you can't be served by human hands as though he needed anything. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation, so he's been actively involved, he has continued to sustain his creation over the course of human history, having determined, look at this, verse 26, he has determined the allotted periods of their dwelling. The moment of birth and the moment of death are determined by the Lord. Such is, such is his providence that, that, that the moment Madeline and Ginny entered the world was at the precise moment that God had determined they would enter the world. Not a day earlier, not a day later. Not even an hour earlier or an hour later. Not even a minute earlier or a minute later. Exactly when God had determined. We're dealing with, as I said before the service, with a young man, 17 years old. Breathed his last sometime in the middle of the night. God determined that last breath. That's what Paul is saying. He determines the period and the exact boundaries where they're going to live. 
In other words, our entire lives are determined by God. This is his providence. Turn, keep your finger here in Acts 17. Go with me to the, uh, the book of Ephesians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, forward in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at, the, look, look at how the Bible is pointing this out. This, this idea of the providence of God over all things. Ephesians 1.11. In him, that is in Christ, if you read it in context, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined, having it had been predetermined. According to the purpose of him who works some things, a few things, the major things, the big things, according to the counsel of his will. Now that's not what the text reads, is it? God himself tells us in his word that it's all things, all things. I work all things, all things, everything. According to the purpose of his will. Nothing is left out of that. Nothing, nothing is, is, is set on the side. Nothing does God say, yeah, that I don't care about. Or that I'm not involved in. Or I have no interest in that. Or I blink and you know some things happen and I can't control those things. God determines all things. What Paul just said. That's our definition of the providence of God. Let me quickly give you two passages out of Psalms. Let's go to uh, Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, everything. There is nothing outside of the reign, nothing outside of the rule of God. Everything falls Underneath him. There, there's not a competing kingdom in the sense that it competes on an equal level. Hey, there, there's no yin-yang going on here. There, there's no countering evil that's just as powerful. And boy, you got to be careful because the evil is just as powerful as the good. And, you know, they kind of counterbalance one another. No. God rules over all. There is another kingdom that seeks to usurp, but it cannot rule over all. There can only be one kingdom over all, and that is the kingdom of the Lord. One more passage out of Psalms, Psalm 115. Verse 3.
our God, our God, is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. See, nothing can go against God. It's an amazing thing, this providence of God. You say, well, how can he do that? Folks, he out of nothing created this universe. See, now look what happens. You begin whittling away at this God who creates out of nothing, and you say, well, you know, that God, well, you know, he's not that powerful. You know, they, he had to use something, so there has to be some other stuff and so on, and maybe that other stuff has a life force of its own and so on. And suddenly, God is diminished. But what happens is when you diminish the God of creation, you also diminish the God of providence. Now all of a sudden, rather than a God who reigns supreme, you have chance that reigns supreme, or you have faith that reigns supreme. Because you've diminished the God of creation. But once you understand that it's out of nothing that God has created then there is nothing that is impossible with the Lord. There is nothing outside of his power. Of course he can determine all. Of course he can rule all. He is God. Wonderful, blessed, comfort can be found in that. But before we get to the comfort, we have to understand something about the providences of God. Because I'm sure there are people who are sitting here in this audience who are saying, but you don't know the junk I've put up with in life. You don't know the problems. You don't know the difficulty. You, and maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's marital. Maybe it's financial. You don't know... Oh, man, I got so many problems. And you're telling me God determines all of this? Yeah. Well, I'm not happy about that. Well, you see, the point of the providence of God is not about you being happy. That isn't what this is about. The providence of God is for his will to be done. God is ruling and reigning all in order that his will is going to be accomplished. Not yours, not mine, not ours collectively, not ours as mankind raising up their fist and saying, God, we don't like the way you're determining things. God says, well, it's not about you. It's not about your life. It is about mine. It is about my will being done. When you pray, pray this way. Not my will, but thy will be done. On earth as is done in heaven. Well, what's included in God's will? His glory. God rules and reigns all things, determines all things. For what purpose? That his will will be done. 
that he will be glorified. That he will be glorified, that his attributes, his holiness, his majesty, his love, his mercy, his justice will be seen and clearly evident in his rule and reign over all things. In all that happens in our life, it is so that we are focused upon his will, his glory, his attributes. It's focused on his grace. See, for you and I as a believer, this providence of God, this determination of God is so vital in our salvation. John Calvin wrote that the creation is the grand theater of God's glory, where the great drama of our redemption is played out. In essence, it isn't about us, but it is. But it's about us, not for our glory. It's about us for His glory. The whole course of human history is about us. So that in us, in we as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who stand and make their faith known, as Jenny and Madeline did this evening, God is saying the whole course of human history is about me determining things so that you will bring me glory. So my salvation, my justification, my sanctification, the whole course of that Old Testament history is to bring into this world Jesus Christ. For what purpose? To be my Redeemer. To be your Savior. Everything we read here in the Old Testament is about bringing forth Christ. Redemptive history. God determining the events. Why? To bring about Christ. Why? For you, for me, so that I might be justified, that my sin might be atoned for upon that cross. That I might be sanctified that God disciplines my life not everything goes right in my view not everything goes well in my view but it always goes right and it always goes well in God's view because he's using everything to bring about my Sanctification, my growing in holiness, my growing closer to Him. And ultimately, my glorification, 
my being brought to him. The desire of God, the will of God, is that you and I as believers shall someday stand in his presence. That's what providence is doing. That's how providence works. For you and I as believers, he's bringing about our being brought into his presence. Where we might live forever in joy, in peace. That we might live forever in the light of his glorious grace. That we might be shed of our sin. That we might be shed of all the burdens and problems that sin brings into our life. God wants to bring us into his presence. And that's the glorious comfort and hope that we as believers have. God's working our lives out. Bring us to himself. Everything about our lives is about this. You see, that's why Paul talks about the extent of providence in this Acts 17 passage. That God who created the world determines even the nations of this world. Remember what I told you about Acts 17, about this second missionary journey? This thing about the gospel going into Europe? Think about how many of us have European ancestors. See, here's where Acts 17 comes to play in your and my life. God brought the gospel to Europe. Paul wasn't going to go there. But God said, Come. Come to Europe, Paul. You need to bring the gospel to Europe. You know why? Because Madeline's ancestors are going to live and reside in Europe. And someday my plan and my purpose is that Madeline is going to become a believer in Jesus Christ through the work of my spirit. So the gospel needs to be in Europe. Paul, you need to bring the gospel to Europe. Because Ginny is going to have ancestors that come from Europe. And my plan and purpose is that those ancestors are going to come to know Christ as well. And over the course of time, faith is going to build within these families. Hope and trust in me. And that's going to be passed on from generation to generation to generation. I'm not sure how far I could go back in the wordings. But, but I, I can pretty well determine. It's at least three generations back. If not further. Given a little pamphlet that Scott gave me a number of years ago. No, it goes back at least four generations on the Van Manen side of things. God is working his purposes out. 
He brings people across the huge body of water in some strange and unusual ways in order that they as families might plant their feet on the ground of the soil here. Because God's plan was that Scott and Kim would be married. And they'd bring into this world a family. One of which would be Madeline, who would come to know Jesus Christ through the influence of her parents. That God brings together a mimi and a brat. Now I can say this because I'm relative, right? Okay. Who would have thunk it? Yet God does so. Because before the foundations of this world, he has a Madeline and he has a Ginny in mind. This is the providences of God. We say, yeah, but everything doesn't always go good for us. No, not for us, but for him it's always good. Because it's always his purposes that are being worked out. That's why in the hymn that we sang, His Eye is on the Sparrow, sometimes we're taking steps and we don't know where the step is. But God does. God does. God knows where life is leading even when we're stumbling through it. Even when you think your house is going to be the easiest sell on the market. And it just doesn't happen. God, good, always gets done. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That extent of God's providence. One theologian is popular for saying that there are no random particles of dust. I was hoping we'd have some glorious sunshine through the windows and I could just turn your attention to it and say, see all those particles that float? See? Not one particle of dust is random. serves God's purposes. Not one doctor's appointment that says, sorry, you're going to have to stay off that leg a little bit longer. Not one phone call that says, dad's in the hospital. Happens by random, happens by chance. God is always at work for his will. So let me close quickly with three statements. One, you see, because of our understanding of the providences of God, there is an amazing comfort that we might have. Life is full of meaning 
and purpose. Young people, I cannot emphasize that enough. Life is full of meaning and purpose. We had two incidences this week of well-known celebrities choosing to end life because they couldn't find meaning and purpose anymore. If you're looking for meaning and purpose in life, you will find it in the providence of God. But you see, I, I, you know, that's pretty broad, that's pretty general. Let me make it smaller yet. I am not random. You are not random. That's the problem with the evolutionary process and thought of today. That's what we are told. We're just random. We're just products of chance. No. You are not. You are a specific creation of God. You are not random. You are not a product of chance. You are not a byproduct of the evolutionary process. You are a creation of God who has determined the exact breath you just took. Almighty God, creator out of nothing, determines the breath you just took, the blink that you just had, the thought. So when things go against us, in our lives, we can be patient, knowing that God is working out His purposes. We don't see it yet. We don't understand it, but God's there. Like a Joseph of the Old Testament sitting in the cell, wondering, why am I here? <sighs> Patiently waiting for God to show forth His purposes. We can be thankful when things go well. Rejoicing with hearts opened up. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. We can be patient when life is hard. We can be thankful to the Lord when life is good. But we can always be Hope-filled. Philippians 1.21 For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's a hope-filled life. Living, Christ, dying, gain. Because you see, God has a plan for every one of our lives. See, that's why standing and making that profession of faith is so important. 
Because it's saying, I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm putting my faith in you. My salvation is in your hands. My life is in your hands. All that I am and all that I ever could hope to be, Lord, it's you. It's you. Have you made that decision? Have you placed your life? Do you have that comfort? Or is life just a random series of bad events taking place? Because you don't have a heavenly father who is counting the very hairs of your head. Because you've rebelled against that. You've tossed it aside. Life's been so hard. It's not fair. No, it's always fair. Always fair. Because it's always just. Because it's always God. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, for its reminder to us tonight of your providences. Lord, and how I thank you and how the parents of Madeline and Jenny and grandparents and friends and family who are here, how we as a congregation, Father, tonight, thank you, thank you for the providences that have been at work in their hearts and in their lives to bring about this moment in time and in history. Father, what comfort, what peace, what hope is ours. In Christ Jesus. In his name. God's people say. Amen.